Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. And this clip right here, I have to say, it's sad because I, I guess you could say it was par for the course for the things and the climate that we've been seeing at Calvary Chapel Chino Hills with Jack Hips. We talked about how he specifically talked about how Thomas Jefferson was really a Christian, and we showed that was not true. That is not true. That absolutely a blatant. I hope that he's just ignorant and just been lied to by somebody we'll talk about later. But here in this part, he knows full well, and what you're going to hear is a compromise in order to make a point regarding the Revolutionary War and the spread of the gospel. you got to hear this clip. I am talking about this. God has honored the church in California. In 1769 to 1833, did you know that Father Sarah, remember him in school, anybody? You know what I'm talking about? Father Sarah... He founded the Mission San Diego. And 20 other missions would follow. Mission stations that he would establish along the entire state of California. Father Sarah called the father of California, set up a network of 21 missionary outposts to spread Christianity among the native population of Indians in California. Did you know that? The same exact time that the American Revolution was forming and being executed on the East Coast of the United States, a spiritual movement was taking place parallel, tandem, on the West Coast here in California. Did you know that? God was moving. In 1781, Los Angeles is founded. Now you're listening to that, that clip. And when you hear Father Sarah, obviously that should throw you for a loop, I hope, as the believer, especially at a Calvary Chapel church. Um, Father Sarah, according to most sources, uh, did not treat Indians all that well, forced them not to become Christian, but to become Catholic. Yeah, he coerced them. And they had to perform manual labor. He was brutal to them, according to most historical documentation. And either, even if he was the nicest guy in the world, he was not converting them to Christendom. He was converting them to Catholicism. And what we've seen now in the compromise of the truth in order to make a point for the Revolutionary War, I think he's trying to do here, is sadly enough a compromise that is really detrimental to the body of Christ in terms of our presentation of the gospel. Yeah, what's really heartbreaking, Chad, is to see what's going on in the Calvary Chapel movement right now. You still have, uh, there's godly pastors within the Calvary Chapel movement that are standing for the truth still. But uh, there was a day, I mean, Chuck Smith, who you know God used to you know to bring many people to Christ and who had uh, founded that movement, uh, he used to have Dave Hunt come and speak to the Calvary Chapel at Costa Mesa. I saw Dave Hunt speak at Costa Mesa years and years ago when I was a young believer. And Dave would speak against Roman Catholicism and how it is a different gospel. In fact, Dave was one of the better 
apologists against Roman Catholicism back in those days. And, you know, Chuck Smith uh, would have Dave there. So it's just heartbreaking to see, you know, well-known Calvary Chapel pastors basically, uh, you know, fan the flames of, of, you know, basically what he's doing is he's basically, for everybody listening, he's saying that this was a spirit of God moving through the Roman Catholic Church and the Roman Catholic Church involving uh, that's expanding Roman Catholicism is really expanding the gospel and that this is a good thing and this is the move of God. And so uh, why not leave Pastor Hibbs Church and go to a Catholic Church then? Uh, and then why were Roman Catholics hunting Christians before, you know, uh, you know, time went on and they aren't allowed to do that so much anymore and uh, not allowing them to preach and, and burning their books and burning their translations of the Bible and so forth if we, we teach the same thing, you know? So what's happening here right now, and, and I, I hope and pray that uh, pastors within the Calvary Chapel movement take a stand and recognize that there's a deviation that's going f- further further left on a, on, a, on a spiritual level, becoming more and more, more uh, left wing in the church that's embracing Roman Catholicism. Uh, and then, you know, you embrace Roman Catholicism, then what's next? Mormonism. You have many professing Christians that are embracing Mormonism now. We did a show on that recently with regard to uh, Chosen. Uh, Chosen and so forth. So where this is headed is, is it's really it's really crazy because these guys are considered now. Keep in mind, these guys are considered some of these leaders, uh, not all of them. Most of these guys, have, people have recognized a lot of these guys as being, you know, out there, right? But Jack Hibbs and others who have been associated with the Calvary Chapel movement, uh, and even Rick Warren, we've exposed him for years. But many people think they're legit teachers, but they're bringing people closer and closer to Rome, and Rome had been compromised with paganism for several centuries, which corrupted their gospel, which is really not a gospel at all. Yeah, and I think that's the point of this, is to see the seriousness of those little compromises that seemingly take on this huge problem. Because as Joe mentioned specifically, if I went and looked up Father Sarah, and I'm being told this is a move of God, and I maybe I move away from Chino Hills. Maybe I still watch his live stream. But why wouldn't I go to a church that the move of God has not been planted? After all, it must be God because it's the biggest church in the world. And if Father Sir was spreading it, why am I going to Little Calvary Chapel? And then you take part in Mass and crucify Jesus afresh over and over again. And these things are not small little things. Oh, these are small disagreements. It's a false church whose high-hidden pedophiles... And every time a priest got caught or off, and they just move him to another so-called parish where he molests other children. And that's that comes right from the top. No, 100%. It's, it's demonic. And to say and look at this as this was a move of God at the same time as the Revolutionary War, and this was going on over here on the West, and this was going on over there in the East, and then when he talks in modern times of the modern church, who does he bring up? Rick Warren's church, who also pushes the same nonsense that the Pope is actually our... Not that, not that uh, Jack said this, but that Rick said that the Pope is actually our, the Christians, all the Christians, that he's our Pope. He's not my Pope. He's not my Papa. That is not a fact. That is wrong. And what, I got to be honest with you, from the Thomas Jefferson stuff, and it's eerie how similar he sounds uh, to David Barton. David Barton, who has spoken right there at Jack Hibbs Church, has been involved in so much of homeschool and stuff, And the truth be told about David Barton and his Reconstructionism, because he does believe in Reconstructionism, and this is just another finger. And I want to point this out before we get into David Barton. Guys, we're not saying that every single Calvinist, because we wouldn't call them brethren, right? 
Uh, every single Calvinist is therefore a Reconstructionist. That's not true. Dallas yeah, Theological Seminary. The yeah, exactly. Seven Mountain Mandate. And, and so we're not saying, oh, somebody's a Calvinist, therefore they teach Reconstructionism of some sort and so forth. That's that's not a fact, but it's a growing movement, and we will get into that it's part growing, of it. Yeah. But I see you have this compromise of Jack Hibbs now using Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, as, well, these guys are great ways to show pictures of sharing the gospel. And then we also have, on this side, Father Sarah. And you see this compromise making up these stories. Some of it are just not just flat out wrong, either ignorant of the history or even if he's telling the truth. I hope he's ignorant of the history. I don't want him to, to, to be lying about it. But nonetheless, you see that going on. And this is something, and Joe, you know all too well, David Barton has been pushing false narratives of history and lies for a long time. Yeah, he wrote a book called The Jefferson Lies, which uh, took off there for a little while until many uh, discerning Christian pastors, uh, pretty early on after it take, took off, actually, uh, there was an uproar uh, pointed out and documenting to the Christian publisher that his, ironically, book called The Jefferson Lies is a, has a whole lot of lies in it. And so much so that the publisher had said, you know, when he looked at the evidence and he looked at what the misquotations and so forth and, and, and the wrong conclusions that Jefferson had come to, I should say that Bart had come to, uh, the publisher wrote and acknowledged and said, hey, we just thought this was just a different view on Jefferson uh, between Bart and, and other evangelicals. But the more we've looked at it, we realize that there are things that are not right there at all. And they discontinued. Uh, they pulled the book back. You know, which was an embarrassment to Barton. However, a lot of people want to believe lies, so they want to believe that Thomas Jefferson was a Christian. Uh, Thomas Jefferson wrote the Jefferson Bible, which uh, we should do a whole show on that sometime. I've done a lot of study on that. I have so many quotations from Jefferson that show you that he was not at all a Christian. Uh, he, he said if he would identify with any group, it would have been the Unitarians because they believed in uh, uh, universalism and so forth. He didn't believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. Uh, there's a bunch of statements. I mean, you can you can research Thomas Jefferson. And you'll find out that he actually denied that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, denied the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he had some really really strange beliefs. And the Jefferson Bible, he ripped off ripped out pretty much all the miracles. And when you get to the end of the Jefferson Bible, you come to the stone was rolled over the tomb, and then of course you go to the next page and see the resurrection. No, it stops with Jesus dead in the tomb, which is exactly where Jefferson uh, would keep Jesus because Jefferson didn't believe in a personal relationship with uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, Barton wants to, us to believe that this is a, you know, a country of, you know, with manifest destiny of some sort to where we are God's, being in God's program as a nation, and therefore uh, we're going to be a big part of this Reconstructionist movement in the end uh, that brings, uh, you know, the, the kingdom on the earth. And it's a part of the, it's the, keep in mind, brothers and sisters, there are two strong wings of the Dominion movement. One is the Kingdom Now people. They're the, you know, the, the Dominionists that are on the charismatic side, which believe that they're going to use miracles, you know, uh, and the supernatural to just overtake the world and, and and so forth, the Seven Mountains. And then you have the Reconstructionists who are far more academic than most of the charismatics uh, and so forth, and they believe it's going to be through, you know, scholarship and through teaching and, and that... The gospel is going to be spread because it's going to be accepted. It's going to, they're going to do it through politics and so forth and what have you. But how's that working for them, by the way? I mean, look, look, look around right now. Are they taking over the world? No. What's going to happen, I believe, 
is that there's going to be a false counterfeit kingdom where a lot of people are going to join into it and it's going to claim to be God's kingdom on earth and everybody's going to think they won when really it's going to be the Antichrist kingdom. And we, we know that is, is a false religious system coming because Jesus said there'll be false Christ and false prophets doing such great signs and wonders that they'll deceive, if possible, even the very elect. And the Antichrist, you know, he's it, not going to be, people are going to be like, oh, that guy's evil. No, they're going to worship this guy. He's going to sit in the temple of God, show himself that he's God. People are going to believe he's God. They're going to put us to death. John chapter 16, the first few verses, Jesus said, they're going to put you to death, believing that they're doing God's service. So there's going to be this false kingdom where they're thinking they're going to, you think it's crazy right now? It's, this is nothing yet, man. You can't run with the foot soldiers in Jeremiah. How are you going to stand with the chariots come the thickets of the Jordan? We need to stand up right now and be bold for Jesus and be strong in his word. Because what's going to happen is this false prophet's going to rise, right? Who's going to be doing great miracles, bringing fire down from heaven in the presence of the beast to get people to worship him. And it says that he will he will look like a lamb. He'll look like he represents Jesus. But he'll speak like a dragon. Uh, he'll speak Satan's words. And if you don't know God's word, and you just go by experience. Uh, there was one, a huge, it was being advertised in Charisma Magazine, uh, Unity Through Signs and Wonders. I thought, wow, man, that's like an end time deal, man. Because people want to bark. They want to laugh. They want to have these feel experience. They want to see gold dust. They want to have all the experience and unite under the experience. Saying, this is from God. That is so dangerous when you put experience over truth because our experiences can deceive us. How funny did you believe something or think something was behind a bush or, or something? somebody said this or somebody did that when it wasn't true and you felt a certain way until you understood the truth. We need to know what the truth says and we need to make sure that we stick to the truth. We stick to the words of Christ. We stick to the words of the apostles and the prophets and that we test everything in light of them. No, and this is really important for us to understand. And, you know, I, I want to read this quote because maybe you think, oh, that's crazy. They don't actually believe they're going to be taking dominion. That's just for those those weirdos in Reading. That's oh, just yeah. for those, read those Rush, guys. Read the architect of the movement among the Calvinists. Yeah, that's Killing homosexuals and all kinds of things, man. Oh, yeah. Not that they all want to do that, but that's what he taught them. And you know what? One of the more popular, I'd say, um, you know, guys that believe post-mill and, and so forth are guys like Doug Wilson up in, in Idaho, uh, Moscow, Idaho. And then some people who have come over to that side, uh, whether it's the Apologia Church and Keep in there. mind, when Chad says post-mill, he's talking for those of you who are, Sorry, what yeah. does that mean? No, no, that's not a problem. Yeah. Uh, the Bible teaches very clearly that Jesus Christ is coming back. You know, read Revelation chapter 19. You know what happens when he comes back? Just go ahead and read verses 11 to the end of the chapter there, 21 verses or so. And you'll see that the beast is taken, and with him the false prophet, they're thrown alive into the lake of fire, and his armies are destroyed, and the fowls of the air are called to come and eat the supper of God. They eat first before the bride eats, actually. And then the Lord establishes his kingdom. You flip the page, or you go to Revelation 20 right after that. There's no chapter breaks. It describes what Jesus' kingdom looks like. He begins to reign, and six different times it says he reigns for a thousand years. Okay? And by the way, I take that number quite literally because when it talks about 1260 days in Revelation, it talks about the great tribulation period being 42 months, it says as well, a time, times, and half a time, all harking back to Daniel, and that being the second half of that last week. That last week there, that's obviously a seven-year period because that last three and a half parts of that week is three and a half years, 1260 days, 42 months it's called. Well, guess what? When I go to the book of Revelation, or book of Daniel, I look at that, that 70th week of Daniel, that last week that is still to be future, because there's 70 weeks 
to, to bring in eternal righteousness and an end of sin and all these things, which happens when Jesus Christ comes back at his second coming at the end of that last week. Those first 69 weeks, those first 69 weeks, Chad, as you know, were declared of the 70 weeks, there'll be 62 and seven, that's 69 weeks from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the, at the end of those 69 weeks, the Messiah would be cut off. We have an amazing prophecy about when the Messiah would be here and when he'd be crucified, when he'd be cut off. Because those weeks were literal. Were, those were literal 69-7, 483 years. We could actually count from the decree of Artaxerxes to rebuild Jerusalem up to 32 or so AD. Then some stories have 444, some have 445 when the decree happened BC, and boom. It brings you right into when Christ was crucified. And those weeks were quite literal. So when I read 42 months and 1260 days, I don't think, oh, those are years or those are just symbolic. No, they're actually very literal. So when I get to the thousand, I don't have to, I don't at all think, oh, that's just symbolic because these other numbers weren't, they, when he's talking about seven churches, those are literal seven churches he's talking to. He that has near, let him hear what he says to those seven churches because it applies to all the churches where they can't apply, right? So what I'm saying here is when you get to Revelation chapter 19, you get to the second coming of Christ. It's clear as day. You know, he, heaven's open and he's got a name written, you know, the word of God, uh, the, the sword, uh, you know, and so forth and everything. And he rules on the earth. Jesus brings in the kingdom. Okay, this is important to know. He brings the kingdom. Then he establishes that thousand-year reign. You read it six times, thousand years. That's a pre-millennial, before the millennium. When Chad says post-mill, and so many of these Calvinists are post-mill, what they're saying is no. See, when we're saying pre-mill, pre-millennialism, we're saying that Jesus Christ comes before the millennium. He establishes. It's clear as day, Revelation 19 and 20. You can't get around it. If you're going to accept God's word, accept it, or just deny it and say, no, I'm going to go with my feelings and what I want to be true instead. Well, guess what? Post-mill says, ah, nope, he comes at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. And they usually make it symbolic. And it's at the end of the millennium. We're the end of the millennium. And at the end of the millennium, Jesus comes back and the churches, the world's presented to him because we basically reconstructed, reconstruction, taken over the world and then we presented to him and so forth. Depending on the reconstructionist view, but that's what many of them hold to. And it's absolutely unscriptural. So when you hear post-millennialism, you have a viewpoint that the world's going to get better and better and better. Contrary to the Apostle Paul who said evil men would wax worse and worse. And Jesus who said lawlessness would increase. And Peter who said mockers who walk after their lust will arise. Jews say much the same thing. The book of Revelation, uh, you see the saints being slaughtered, and on and on and on. Yes, and I think Second uh, Thessalonians one and two put together actually mm, puts yes, a, puts an end is. to the to this. I mean, it puts a real kibosh to the uh, understanding because they ask for when they get their relief, and they're told when they get the relief when Jesus comes back with his fire, with his angels Wait, dealing angels. out retribution. That's the when they yep. get the relief, not before and i don't think that's happened right and we're not and nope. so forth so it, it's really well, according important to the full preterist yeah. has in fact according to them jesus already came back and we're in the new heaven and the new earth right now many yeah. of them say no and, and that, the tears have been wiped away that's really really, sad. really dangerous and you know when we look into these things the fact is is that ideas and beliefs they do have consequences and so when we see this and we recognize that's why we're, we're preaching this so so hard and that's why we care is because we don't want people getting fooled into this. And if you don't think it's that serious or you think, you know, maybe like I said, these are just, you know, people up in Reading. These are just people out in, in the boondocks out with Lance Wall now and so forth who believe this. 
This is a quote from George Grant's book, Changing the Guard. George Grant is someone, and we mentioned Post Mill as a position, one of the more popular groups out there, somebody who's made it somewhat hipster to be Post Mill. He's also a preterist, believes that the Book of Revelation, or almost all of it, was fulfilled already in around 70 AD. Yeah, and he was actually on Apologia's radio show uh, a little while back for, on Apologia's program, yep. show. Who was also Post Mill. Yeah, who was also... And also a... Partial preterist. He's also post mill, and he actually converted James White over to the post mill position as well. Which is heartbreaking. And this is James one known better. of the things that is actually stated in George Grant's book. Somebody who has been on Apologia's show. Quote Christians have an obligation, a mandate, a commission, a holy responsibility to reclaim the land for Jesus Christ. To have dominion in the civil structures, just as in every uh, every other aspect of life and godliness. But it is, it is dominion that we are after, not just a voice. It is dominion we are after, not just influence. Interesting. It is dominion we are after, not just equal time. It is dominion we are after, world conquest. That's what Christ commissioned us to accomplish. We must win the world with the power of the gospel, and we must never settle for anything less. If Jesus Christ is indeed Lord, as the Bible says, and if our commission is to bring the land into subjection to his lordship, as the Bible says, then all our activities, all our witnessing, all our preaching, all our craftsmanship, all our stewardship, and all our political action will aim at nothing short of that sacred purpose. That's interesting. They said it's not just influence. influence. Yeah. And and Joe, I I'm, I want to hand this over to you. What is the Christian position that doesn't go against Romans 13, right? Doesn't go against being subject to our leaders. What is the position and what are something, I guess, practical that we can do? And where can we actually take stands and where are there places where we probably shouldn't? Yeah, well, let me uh, respond to that question with uh, kind of rejoinder with what you just quoted from this gentleman who teaches this full-blown dominionism who has been on, as you mentioned, Apologia, who is a Reconstructionist, a partial preterist, who believes the book of Revelation, for the most part, uh, has been fulfilled, uh, and therefore he posits his own agenda. And what the, you know, and he basically... Uh, it, part of that quote that you mentioned, he said, if Jesus Christ is really Lord, you know, we'll basically, he says, we'll bring the land into subjection and dominion. In other words, if Jesus is really Lord, as the Bible says, according to him, we're going to bring the world into submission and subjection to the church. So what's he saying? If we do not do this as the church, therefore he's not Lord. If he's really Lord, this has got to happen. In other words, if my interpretation of the Bible, which is that we are going to take over the world for Christ, and that's what it teaches, if it's, if it's, doesn't say if it's right, you know, no, he says if Jesus is Lord, this is what's going to happen. So even though he knows that most biblical scholars, most uh, prophecy experts through the years would just reject that whole idea of reconstruction out of hand, you know, it's only a very select, small group that actually teach that, which is growing, by the way, because of the charismatic movement with seven mountain mandates. But this is very interesting. 
because he's setting people up for a fall. And I don't believe he's doing this on purpose at all. I believe he's just sincerely deceived. Uh, he's setting people for a fall because they believed that Jesus came, that, that his first followers, right, the apostles, they would just, the crucifixion, what he was going to do, just went over their heads, right? Very few people understood that he was going to even die. In fact, Mary uh, seems to be the only one, if you know, besides maybe a few others, uh, because she actually anointed his feet for burial, you know, because she was at his feet listening when Martha was, you know, complaining. <laughs> and she actually was listening to the word. That's where we should be at Jesus' feet, knowing what the word says so we test these things. But it's really interesting because the apostles, what happened when Jesus was taken and crucified? It didn't go in the optimistic way they thought it would go. They, they, they were optimists, you know. Oh, he's going to rule and reign. Look what Jesus is going to do. And he's being crucified. What happens? They all fall away. The shepherd struck. The sheep go astray. They all, he said, you'll all deny me. They all denied him. Why? Because they had their hopes shattered because they envisioned him as being the conquering Davidic king instead of the suffering Lamb of God at that point. Now, guess what? Jesus is coming back. We have a little picture there. Jesus is coming back at his second coming. And when he returns, uh, he's going to return in triumph. He's going to get all the glory. He's going to get the honor, the praise. We're not the ones that take over uh, the earth and, 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 and establish the kingdom on earth. Uh, and what ha- what's going to happen? I mean, because what happens is uh, this gentleman is twisting scripture. He takes Rome, uh, Revelation chapter 11, which talks about the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of Christ. He goes, look, he basically says the church is going to fulfill this. The kingdom of the world is going to take, become the kingdom of Christ through, through the, the dominion mandate. No, that's not what it says. Not in the context in which he, he posits it. It says in Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 17, which is the blowing of the last trumpet when Paul said the rapture would take place and the kingdoms of the world become the kingdom of Christ because that's at the second coming of Christ, post-trib rapture, but pre-millennial, and Christ returns, and guess what happens? In Revelation, go ahead and read it, brothers and sisters. Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 uh, through 19, it's very, very clear. It, it states that the kingdom of this world become the kingdom of Christ, and it came for him to destroy it. The time came for him to destroy those who are destroying the earth. To obey God rather than men, for sure. And that's what we advocate, that's what we teach, and we'll continue to do so by the grace of God. No, and I, and I think that's really important. I know we have gone well over our time here on this episode, but we do believe this is an important topic, and we also wanted to give justice to the people we are even exposing. Let you hear their own words. It's not just us giving oh, yeah. opinions. And, and yeah. keep in mind, I'll just mention this as well. I did a video that we spent a lot of time and money on called The Obama Nations uh, just before Obama became president. And... Uh, we will, we're not, we will get in and say, hey, this is wrong, this is evil. And we'll take a stand against leaders that are evil and so forth. And, and right now we have, uh, but when people quote scripture and we just say, oh, it must be godly because, you know, Biden quoted Isaiah chapter 6. Here am I, Lord, send me. You know, and he misused that scripture, butchered it just a few days ago. Uh, so I just think it's important that we understand that we make sure scripture is used in context and that we... Uh, occupy till he comes the way he told us to occupy. He didn't tell us to take over seven mountains. He didn't tell us to reconstruct the world politically. He told us to preach the gospel. He told us to preach the gospel to every creature. And we're to be about his business. Yes, we're called to do other things. Like it says in Ephesians 5.11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. 
So yes, we speak prophetically to the state, and we're iconoclastic uh, in a way because we expose the idols of this age, and we you know, expose it's the darkness and let the truth come to light so that the, the light can come on the sleeper and the sleeper can wake up. So we as Christians are supposed to point out not to take over the world through the church, but to use the church to convict the world of sin. That's why we expose the works of darkness. Same Greek word, by the way, in chapter 16, 8 through 12, as is used in Ephesians chapter 5, 11 there, and of, of righteousness and of judgment. So if, it's a, if we're to be led by the Spirit, we're going to be all about the gospel of Jesus Christ, preaching his gospel and standing for what's right, even if it costs our lives. And we want to thank you guys so much for joining us on this special edition of the Good Fight Radio Show. And we hope you guys can check us out. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel here at Good Fight Ministries. Also, our YouTube channel, Good Fight Radio Show. And also check us out on Facebook, you know, Twitter, everywhere else. And I just want to thank you guys so much for joining us. God bless you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.